The Shannon Speed Series is back for 2024, and next stop is Simmons Plains for AWC Race Tasmania on March 15 to 17. Peugeot points leader Ben Bargwana leads the way. It's a round two of the super cheap auto TCR Australia Series. And there's plenty of V8s to see in here too. Mighty Moth, Spicy Gricey, and the Trico Trans Am Series are in action, as well as the ground-shaking Precision National Sports Sedan Series. It's just $55 for a three-day pass. Book now via motorsporttickets.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, great to have you with me on the pod for another week. I'm Aaron Noonan. This pod is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. Now on this episode this week, we are paying tribute and celebrating the life of a great friend of so many in Australian motorsport in Stuart McColl. Now the very day that we're releasing this podcast on August the 9th, it's 20 years ago to the day in 2003 that Stuart crashed at Phillip Island in qualifying for a GT performance round at the wheel of a Volkswagen Golf and lost his life. Now I and so many other people in the sport who will be listening to this will never forget where we were when we heard that terrible news. I really feel it's important to keep the memories of people like Stu going, who left us way too soon and leave those memories prominently in the minds of as many as possible for as long as possible. And that's what this episode is really all about. I wanted it to be celebration, not commemoration, and I think we've managed to do that. But I also didn't want to do this without this blessing and the support of his awesome parents, John and Janelle McColl, who, this is a measure of the quality of these people, not only wholeheartedly supported this, but drove from Newcastle to Melbourne to sit down for a chat in person, rather than do it over a video link online. They are truly special, amazing people. Now this episode has two distinct parts. It's one episode, not a a two-parter like we've done before. One part of the chat is largely with his dad, John, and the other, to add some more details, is with Stu's great friend, Steve Duckett. There's some good tales here. This is good fun. There's the tale of Stu's runaway Formula V that nearly ended up in the family pool, the last-minute Winton accommodation booking that, well, let's face it, was at a nudist colony, and as well as the Ford Performance Racing V8 supercar test opportunity that his family only found out about in the aftermath of his passing. So settle in as we remember and celebrate Stuart McColl on the V8 Salute podcast polished by Bowden's own premium car care. John, tell me about, um, there's a few stories to talk about with Stu, but is it your fault that he got the racing bug? Is it because of you? Not not really. Um, I think uh, originally started with what can I do this weekend? Um, and there was an ad in the Newcastle Herald come and try day at uh, Newcastle go-kart track. And I think it was a, a dollar a lap might have been the, the amount. So between him and his mother, they concocted up the idea that we can go and have a, a look at this go-kart racing stuff. You know, one weekend at soccer, next weekend at something else. So that's actually how uh, we got to go go-kart racing the very first time was uh, the fact that they were advertising, wanting people to, uh, <laughs> to come. And, um, and it was um, from then it all started. Yeah. Did you do a bit of racing rallying uh, as a young bloke? Uh, yeah. Only at club level 
in Volkswagens uh, with a colleague of mine uh, who uh, was a schoolmate and we're still friends uh, 50 odd years down the track. Uh, we didn't quite cut it uh, <laughs> for many reasons. One, we, we got lost too often and I was the navigator um, and uh, had other uh, preoccupations to consider at the same time. So it, it's where it all started Yeah, in Volkswagens. And then going actual kart racing. So was this a – the amount of times I've spoken to drivers and people on the podcast who – uh, they bugged their parents to buy them the first go-kart. Was that the same scenario here once so the bug was in same it was on? scenario, yeah, yeah. but my answer was, well, you've got 600 bucks, mate. Uh, we'll see what we can buy for that or thereabouts. And uh, lo and behold, after the fact that we'd been to Wall's End go-kart track, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure where the – the ad was or how we come to get it, but the guy that was the president of uh, the go-kart track or club, I should say, he happened to have, he and his daughter ran go-karts and it turned out that this go-kart that Stuart bought was uh, in fact his daughter's. And I can tell you, it was pretty basic. Uh, (laughs) uh, We just got this go-kart, engine and a big box full of spare parts and that was our start in motor racing. Um, I just thought, well, you know, this this won't last long. It'll, this is a fad. This will this'll, this'll this'll, pass. This will wash over. <laughs> um, not to be. No, no. Be. So you guys went into car or you know, karting and car racing without a history in it, without a, uh, you know, it's not like it was something yeah, you had uh, done so you were going into it yeah, sort of blind yeah, really. yeah. That's, that was the case. Uh, you know, I come from an engineering background so and, and lucky enough to be involved with a family that had a history of engineering in the automotive industry and also in, in uh, motor racing, mm. uh, dirt bikes and also other race cars. And that's where, as a young person, you sort of started to learn a bit about uh, race, racing cars and so on. Where did this go from a bit of fun to this is the thing that I'm going to go and have a crack at? Well, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know. 15 or 16. You bought this uh, Oh, no. At well, 12. Uh, well, it was 12 years of age when uh, it, this all started. And I can tell you the first couple of years, it, it didn't look like it was going to go too much longer because Stu wasn't what you'd call a, um, an aggressive person at all at that, those, that point in time. Very timid, reserved, and just thought, well, it's, it's a great sport, a great club, great, great people, and uh, you thought, well, it's just like being in any club, mm. be it football or cricket or what's on. So it wasn't until... Uh, he got a bit older, that uh, had the same cart, not the same first cart we had. We had a number of carts, but and all of a sudden the pennies dropped and away we went uh, <laughs> from being just in the middle of the pack um, to being at the front of the pack. Mm. Um, and that that's where it all got real serious, like, hey, Dad, um, if we go okay, can we go and have a look at 
you know, the next level up or and that's where the conversation started. So the fact that he did well, you, you certainly got hooked yourself. So mm. I think that was the start of it all. When he was about 15 or 16, being pretty good at state level uh, go-karting. Mm. And then karts leads to, well, can we go to cars now? Yeah. How many times did you get a phone call or a question with, hey, so could we? I'm guessing like with most young drivers that happens pretty much all the time and yeah. it was the same for him too. That, that was the case and I, I figured that rather than jump straight into Formula Ford, which was the sort of probably the natural step to take, but I thought, well, if he's can't cut it in a Formula V, uh, we won't have spent all that amount of money. And I thought I've always been interested in Volkswagen and know a lot about them, so I could uh, you know, set them up yourself or thought you could. <laughs> uh, and uh, that, so we went down that path and met. Uh, luckily enough, um, we had a guy by the name of Steve King in uh, Maitland who was a a go-kart engine builder and he had his own uh, uh, lawnmower business, uh, selling lawnmowers and fixing them up. But he also was a well-respected engine builder for all uh, different go-kart engines. So he, he sort of guided us a bit to where to go or who to talk to in the early days of uh, uh, Formula V. And uh, we went with uh, the Cuts family. Who are, uh, who are very well known in yeah, these. Just, yeah, you know, yeah, designers and great, great people. And uh, they said, oh, Ian Shivers, he's got a – Shivers getting out of, cut, uh, out of uh, Formula V. So I thought, oh. And it was a new, relatively new car and lock, stock and barrel, you know, trailers, spare parts, engines. You're uh, in. Nice, we're <laughs> deal done. Uh, that's where it all started in terms of open wheelers was through that, that uh, particular, uh, or that time, which is what, Janelle, 1996? Yeah, 1997, mm. I think. 97. Mm. So was it, there's a story too, and you can tell this because you were there, so the Formula V Nationals in 97 were going to be in Tassie. Yep. But there's a small issue when you have your car escape from your trailer. <laughs> what, what, what happened this day at your place with your... Aaron, I don't your, know you really need to know all this, but... Um, <laughs> go on, Can, I, can go I say, on. In, in preparation for going to Tassie, we had um, a colleague in Newcastle that was pretty good at tuning uh, all sorts of engines. He had a... Uh, a, a car dyno and uh, John um, he had tuned the car this particular time just about a week or so before going and I bought the car home in the trailer and uh, to back it into our driveway and into the garage Stuart was far better than I at backing trailers so it Stu's in the uh, in the car, backing this trailer down into the garage. And next thing I look up, 
and here it comes out of the back of the trailer. The, ca- the race car. An, an airborne race car, <laughs> yellow in colour. <laughs> and in the flash, I could visualise this thing going through the garage, out the back garage door into our swimming pool. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, it the back left-hand wheel hit a brick nib on the wall of the garage and pulled the thing up to a dead stop. So you can imagine the discussion that went on uh, after that about whose fault it was. Did we ever decide whose fault Uh, it was? uh, No, it's still yet to to be resolved. (laughs) But um, we finally got to Tassie and I got talked into taking two race cars, uh, Bruce Colby, who's a Formula V uh, stalwart, his car and spare engines, way too much weight in this trailer, and we went to Tassie and uh, whilst we thought we'd fixed up all the, the problems of the, the car after it hit the wall, we failed to recognise that it also cracked the crankshaft in the engine oh, and geez. it wasn't until you got on the racetrack at, in Tassie that um, you realised you had a serious problem. <laughs> so but, the simple lesson here for all yeah. young racers who might yeah. be listening to this Make sure your car, if it's on a trailer, in a truck, make sure it is tied yeah. down, chocked down, going nowhere. Yeah, you might get a nasty surprise when you yeah, back it down no, the driveway. A, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> but we you know, did extremely well in Tassie. Uh, the, um, Jason Cuts came first, Stuart second, and Phil Moyes third mm. um, in the Australian titles. To a lot of people's surprise, but you know, it was a you know, fantastic thing to achieve achievement for everybody. Was for all of the same boat, you know, not uh, having a lot of support from outside. It's all done internally, and there's many more stories about that. But it's just uh, the close knit nature of uh, these classes. Not only Formula V, but in go karting and Formula Ford. At state level, people help one another a mm. lot. It's a good scene of the sport that a lot, yeah, of, a lot yeah. of our listeners will be involved yeah. in or have been involved yes, in and, yeah. and know about it well. The Shannon Speed Series is back for 2024 and next stop is Simmons Plains for AWC Race Tasmania on March 15 to 17. Peugeot points leader Ben Barguana leads the way. It's a round two of the super cheap auto TCR Australia Series. And there's plenty of V8s to see in here too. Mighty Moth, Spicy Gricey, and the Trico Trans Am Series are in action, as well as the ground-shaking Precision National Sports Sedan Series. It's just $55 for a three-day pass. Book now via motorsporttickets.com.au. You said before about the Formula V thing being kind of the, all right, let's put him in there rather than going to Formula Ford and see how it all well, that, that was the next right. question. That, yeah. that, it, it only had, I think, five races in total in a Formula V and obviously that wasn't going to cut the mustard. So <laughs> we quickly were on the lookout for uh, a Formula Ford and again, I think uh, the Formula Fords at that stage were on TV on a regular basis at state level, not only national level, if I remember correctly, but Rodney Forbes, 
mm-hmm. and he he was in that particular year, '97, uh, uh, did extremely well, and he had a great car, and we were able to do a deal with uh, Rodney because he he was a go karter, and he and Stuart raced one another uh, previous years, and we got to know them extremely well. So. When Rodney stepped up into the Formula v, uh, Formula Ford in '98, um, '97, sorry, we bought his in '98. Yeah, '98. Mm. Yeah, it was for the yeah, 90, he'd run Rodney it in '97. Yeah, racing in '97, and we bought that again. The whole package, the whole, but also we're lucky enough to get the engine builder and his race engineer. Uh, the race engineer was Mark Hammond who has a long history in in uh, open wheeler motorsport at that stage. Um, and again, Pete Wallace with his uh, Formula A race engines, that's uh, where it all started really mm. uh, uh, as a, a sort of a half professional outfit. And getting the people who make a difference who, yeah. you know, sort of become a hub, who yeah. they know their stuff, they've been yeah. around it a while, they've worked on yeah. cars, they've built and engines. That, that's where we uh, really started from there. He won the uh, uh, championship that particular year in 1998, uh, all by one race I think he won. And um, so inevitable. <laughs> the next question. <laughs> the next question. <laughs> where, where to next? So you're getting into the serious end of things, so and it just rolled on from there, really. Yeah. And at yeah. this point, is it the family business and the family that's you're doing all this on your own, pretty much? Oh, yeah. uh, uh, except for the assistance of uh, yeah, many people um, in terms of helping uh, that knew what to do, particularly the Mark Hammonds and the. Mm. Uh, um, Steve King, he was a great advisor. And Again, all the hours of work in the garage, yeah. Right? So Stu and I did all the prep work mm. for the cars and um, got a good result. Yeah. Yeah. So state title win in '98. Yeah. And then the next question comes of because there's there's always a step, there's always somewhere to go yeah. and a question to be asked. So nationals, the next thing, and at the time Formula Ford in. What are we? The late nineties. It's lots of cars, lots yeah. of talent. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's great that it's still going too. But it, uh, at the time, that was a really yeah. great era where people were getting noticed, getting into V eights, getting yeah. into Formula Holden. If you wanted to go anywhere, you had yeah. to go there. That was kind of the yeah. go, wasn't it? Well, I was a great believer in where you can is to use Australian products, and I was sort of uh, uh, very keen uh, to go down the spectrum. Uh, Path because of their history and where they come from, and um, I, to me, there's plenty of them around. The, the, the man that made them, you could go and talk to, and it was a sort of the way to go to enter that. And I think recall at that time they were doing pretty well at uh, national level as well, and uh, it was a Steve Owen was there. Well, Adam Macro had won the championship. Adam Macro, yeah, um, Adam, the Adam previous and then Steve, year, yeah, but they're up there with, with yeah. all the rest of the cars. So I thought, well, that's that's the way to go. And we eventually uh, purchased a car through uh, uh, Borland and um, 
took the car back to Newcastle and started working on it ourselves to try and learn as much as we could because uh, not knowing what to expect. It was a bit Still doing it all yourself in yeah, this. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Dad and Dave racing kind of yeah. speak, yeah. Um, but again, you had the services of Mark Hammond and, and um, Pete Wallace with his, with his engines and then you had to work out how you're going to get the car around Australia. Because and the national tour is a tours, lot bigger tour than uh, the state tour. I, yeah. I wasn't in a position to be able to you know, spend the time to to be there all the time. So uh, I went with Borland and they transported Pete, uh, Keith Evers. Mm-hmm. He yep. was the guy that uh, took Stuart's car along with um, Owen Kelly from Tassie. Yep. Keith looked after, via Boland this is, Keith looked after uh, uh, Steve, uh, Owen Kelly's car and he had Stu's car in the truck as well. So he would cart the car from Boland's workshop to wherever we had to go. And that's um, uh, how we started the first... First year, mm. and but he won straight up. Yeah, at straight East up. Blitzton, Blitzton. Uh, uh, it's unbelievable, really. C- consider you just stepped out, and we were racing in Eastern Creek, where Stuart admittedly had he was very familiar with the track and uh, had great success there. But nevertheless, uh, we won, and it sort of opened a few eyes, I think, uh, all around. But unfortunately, that was short-lived, and uh, we battled for the rest of that year. And because of our inability to be with the car all as much as we would normally have liked, mm. so I, I don't know how he fit all that curly, buffy hair at the time mm. in the helmet. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was a subject that got a fair bit of airplay. At the Not time. a fan of the haircut back yeah, in no, the day. No, no you no, wanted it chopped. No, 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 no it's a, <laughs> I'm not sure who convinced him that he should have a haircut. But, uh, <laughs> Someone did in the end. Did, they did in the end. He I got think. there in the end. Uh, he got there in the end. Yeah. Um, not only was the race driving thing going, but he was doing an apprenticeship around that time, wasn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, Stu wanted to leave school uh, early. And go car uh, racing. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that was it. I said, well, mate, you can leave school as long as you get a proper job, uh, to which he... He did and uh, sought out an apprenticeship when he was at the end of year 11 uh, where he had already, as a part of the curriculum at school, attended TAFE and in mechanical trades and he'd had 12 months of making things and he had uh, this box full of items that he'd made at, at TAFE and he took them around to various engineering places in Newcastle and turn these up on the, on the boss's desk and say, well, I've made that. So he, he was fortunate enough at that time to get offered apprenticeships from a number of people uh, and he chose to go with Tom and Go Aluminium. I think they probably paid the most was <laughs> the, the deciding factor and to which he did and he... Uh, done extremely well in that particular area, winning his um, Apprentice of the Year, his first year, uh, 
and uh, they were kind enough also to be uh, allow him to go motor racing to some extent, <laughs> and that's that's how he got to to go uh, transition from school in, into uh, engineering apprenticeships and then into motor racing. So he always had a hands-on knowledge pretty well of his cars because you guys had prepped them at home and yeah. plus he had, had that side of things as well. And he worked in our works, which is an engineering shop mm. as well mm. in uh, school holidays. So uh, You got on the night shifts as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Someone's yeah. got to do it. So that, that that year of the National Series didn't started good, didn't go good after that. So that leads the pathway to him coming to Melbourne and linking yeah. up with Sonic Motor Racing with yeah. Michael and Maria Ritter who yeah. have been this nursery school for Australian racing for pretty much over 25 years now, whether it was the Davison boys or it's David Reynolds or it's – I mean the list is a mile. Yeah, Jamie Winkup. The list is a mile long of people who've gone through Sonic. So how did that come to be? Did it get to the point that the, well, the other thing just didn't work, we need to do something different here and this is it? Well, we cer- certainly uh, was not happy with the, with the, the car that we had uh, at all and then uh, the Davisons, Richard Davison in particular, sort of suggested that we look at buying uh, the, the RF98, or sorry, yeah, taking on the RF98 at the end of uh, 1999 and uh, let Michael Sonic, that was his probably second year. It was still pretty new then. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, and so it was yeah, no, no doubt in our mind that that was a good thing to do. Um, we had some sponsorship from um, Kmart at that time, so it was a, a good package. So let, let's uh, give it a go, yeah. and that's what we did. So the young bloke leaves home. He's he's on his way to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Yes, he uh, packed up goods and chattels, and <laughs> and uh, the uh, the company there's. Um, a, a welding company here in, in uh, Melbourne that actually um, that we dealt with in a business sense. And they were very good. In they actually took him in, looked after him, and uh, Andrew Carruthers, who he himself was a off-road motorbike champion. Um, so he had those, and he actually worked for KTM in the shock absorber side of um, their business and that's where Stu went uh, and that's where he started in Melbourne as well as the motor racing. Mm. And on, shortly after that uh, he left and went under the wing of the Davo family mm-hmm. and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a brat, well, brat pack makes it sound like they're all a bunch yeah. of brats but they weren't uh, between Will Davison Alex, who had yeah. gone or was going to go, or by yeah. that stage he'd gone to Germany. Yeah. Paul Umbrell, Jamie Winkup, was a bit of a clan of yeah. present company included. Yeah. Um, yes. A bit of a group of people who hung around and went car racing and yeah. everyone had sort of the, the grand plan of what they were all going to yeah. do and take on the world and, and all that sort of stuff as well. But on paper that 
2000 year, again, it was really competitive with, you know, some of the drivers that were yes, in yeah, and what yeah. they ended up doing and where they've been. But I think Stuart was probably one of the favourites going in there. Good car, bit of experience. We know he's fast. Yeah. But again, the, f- the first half of the year was just this, yeah. just did not happen at all, no, did no, it? It's just the wheels fell uh, off. Not sure the reasons why, but um, he certainly had a difficult start initiation to the first part of the session or the season. And, uh, you know, it it really tested your mettle because, you know, you're talking about lots of money and you're not, you just can't keep doing the same thing and not not getting a result. So I sort of said to him, I said, look, mate, you know, you can't, we can't keep doing this if this is what's going to happen. So and, and you're funding the bulk of this yeah, still I'm, to this point. 100%. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we, we had committed to Michael for the year and you're going to certainly honour honor that arrangement. And um, it then settled down and we started getting results. Very, yeah. But um, and at, as it turned out <clears throat> at the very end, Malala in South Australia, it was down to the last race and all that sort of stuff. Um, and unfortunately, uh, things didn't go the way we'd liked. If otherwise, we would have been, he would have been the Australian Formula Ford champ for that particular year. Uh, all down to the last race. And uh, he clawed his way back out of yeah. a slow start. Yep. And then there was a crash, I think, at Eastern Creek. He yes. ended up off the road at turn yeah. one. And then a couple of weeks later at Phillip Island, he's off the road at turn one in the yeah. lead. So he's fast. But yeah. was Philip, wasn't there like that Phillip Island weekend? That was a bit of a – or was it East, – no, Eastern Creek, he and Mick Ritter drove back to Melbourne in the car from Sydney mm. together. That, yeah. <laughs> anyone who's ever uh, – Mick Ritter's name has come up plenty of times on our pod. We haven't had him on, but we will. Um, doesn't take losing well It's probably a good way to put it. Smash that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's an understatement. As <laughs> <laughs> you uh, did mention that the conversation from time to time that they had on the way back, uh, but um, obviously it must have had some impact because after that it, uh, things did improve. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search rego, the number two, and oil and find out. I still remember vividly, and you will definitely, after those couple of crashes and about halfway through the year, was it Ipswich at Queensland Raceway where he sort of got back and had a win and there's that great yeah. vision of him bolting to you through yes, the Park Ferme yeah, sheds uh, out the back there in uh, in Ipswich? Yeah, there, there and, and Oran Park was mm. the other one where he had great success in in that year. And, uh, you know, if everything was going right, there's no way you're going to catch him. No, but, um, no, no. Unfortunately, he just didn't have the consistency throughout that year to to uh, actually win the championship. But he'd shown enough. Like he won some stuff. He was yeah. fast. Yeah. Stuff happened. But then there's another There's another thing to do because what's next after Formula Ford at the time? 
It's Formula Holden, the open wheeler oh. category. Yes. So suddenly there's – is there another phone call here with a, hey, well, well I've, got again, a, I've got a deal? a fair amount of pressure brought to bear on Janelle and I to, uh, to assist him to get into Formula Holden. And Arthur Abrahams was around the pits a lot <laughs> in the latter end of uh, uh, 98 – well, sorry, 2000, mm. uh, as, as being a likely uh, pilot for his, his particular Formula Holden, to which um, we thought we had a deal with. But uh, as it turned out, the amount of money needed to run one of those cars on a, for a year was just out of our budget and uh, we had to step away at the end. Um, just... Just couldn't simply couldn't afford it. Mm. Uh, so I said to Stu, "Look, if, look, if you want to pursue this particular uh, category and or go beyond even that, you're going to have to work at it yourself to work out how you're going to do it. We'll assist where we can, but not fully commit, all full yeah. committal to uh, a season in any particular class. It's just mm. not possible." And that led to, I think for a time he was crewing at Sonic with Marcus Marshall who was driving there at the time. Yes, so he was yeah. on the remember him t- on the on the tools and telling Marcus how to go faster and yeah, all well. that stuff. Um, but that's where the V-Dub thing started and there was a, a, he and Will drove a Beetle at Bathurst. I, remember, I still yeah. remember it had the flower in it still at the time that they yeah. had back in the day. But there was a gig that sort of tied to the racing but there was a gig to look after the the press car fleet up in Sydney and the warehouse of, of VW Australia. Right. So that sort of – it's a bit of an, an ironic thing that, you know, yeah, you're a VW I, I, man from I back in the day. Yeah. Will, Will um, opened that gate for him a, a bit because uh, he must have been talking with Greg Settle at the time. And I'm not sure exactly who was going where, but this opportunity came up to have a drive in the, um, in the Volkswagen, the Beetle at that time. Uh, to which he did, and uh, went pretty well. It was all mixed in. There's many classes all racing at, in the one event, so uh, I'm not quite sure how you worked out who was who in terms of how you're going. But it, he did well in that. Uh, I thought caught on fire. Uh, well, but, I did catch uh, – I was going to mention yeah, too, Janelle well, said uh, from the side that it did catch on fire, and, but and Will we, was driving when it caught on fire, uh, not Stu. Well, we didn't so. know that at the time. Yeah. So Janelle and I are watching at home to see a Volkswagen Beetle going backwards down Skyline on fire and thinking, well, is that Stu or was that Will? Mm. In, and he didn't know mm. uh, who, who was who and – Next thing, eventually, Will climbed out of the thing. Uh, that put paid to that Volkswagen and that on that event because I think it did quite a bit of damage. I think so. it was pretty toasted by the end yeah. of by the end of yeah. that one. But um, the he had a he clearly had been at the point as you said before where you guys have you've tapped out. You've yeah. done as much as you can do, yeah. probably more yeah. than you really could have done at the time, financially and yeah. time and time, effort yeah. and stress and everything that comes with this whole sport and this whole caper. So he's he's down to Melbourne to all right, you gotta go and network. You gotta go and try yeah. to find deals and get your antenna up and try to make it all happen and start to bring it together. It's wheeling and dealing is kind of the, yeah. the, the deal if you want to get anywhere in racing. Yeah. But I always remember that he was very good at it without being very 
a front about it. He, he wasn't an overly out there in your face kind of guy, but it was the reserved style that he had that stood out more than if he was the loud yeah. bloke in the room kind of thing. Well, that was the thing that worried me most of all, it, it being cast uh, out, out in the in the big world on your own to actually uh, negotiate and you know, commit to people and hopefully get what you're after because of his uh, reserve nature, as you said. Um, I felt it really worried Janelle and I that you know, he'd get swallowed up. But um, to a story that I can tell that sort of put paid to that thought on our path was he came to Queensland uh, on this particular weekend. I think it was in 2002. We are on holidays up in the Gold Coast and we get the phone call, um, can you pick me up and take me to Queensland Raceway on this particular weekend? And uh, I said, yeah, fine. So we drove from Brisbane Airport out to Ipswich this particular morning. It must have been a... Saturday was a race day and uh, he said, are you going to come come in and ha- have a look? And I said, oh, no, I don't think I'll worry. I'll go back uh, back down to the Gold Coast. So no, he said, come, come in. Well, I don't know whether it was for my benefit or his, but we went around and we went into all the teams and the, the people, the interaction with the people and the press, I just... I thought to myself, well, uh, I don't need to worry anymore. <laughs> he knows yeah. what he's doing. No. Yeah. He'd he, he made it in, in that regard. Mm. Uh, so he never worried about his ability to drive mm. and and to, you know, set up race cars and that sort of stuff. But his ability to do the business and the end of it, uh, you did worry, but you, you didn't need to, in mm. fact. Mm. The Formula Holden stuff sort of restarted though too because the NRC thing stopped, yeah, no yeah. money. But then he sort of got a call out of the blue. I think it was yeah. was Graham Watson. Yes, yes, rolled astray. He was looking for a yeah. driver and rings Stu. And next thing you know, he's back in a car out of the well, blue. Well, next thing you know, Stuart rings me. Oh right, yes, that's the next bit that <laughs> hey, happens. Dad. <laughs> I've got a I've deal. I've got this drive. Oh, here we go. What's it uh, going to cost? <laughs> so no, it, and it, it worked extremely well. Mm. Um, he. I couldn't believe really what he did. Uh, there was the Very track, was Eastern Creek, wet tracks, uh, dry, half dry, half wet. Every every obstacle you could possibly think of, and with great success. And then after that, of course, uh, I think Graham Watson. Uh, I met him with Steve Duckett uh, before we started racing. Or yeah, might have been after. Actually, Stewart raced, and he was delighted because he had he and Will Power, you know, one two in, and he said if if I if they win one two, I'll shave my beard off. <laughs> to which, I'm not sure whether he did or not, but yeah. He, and he always had a beard, Graham yeah, Watson. Yeah, no, so that well, was that, a that big was thing a, for him yeah. to. That's like John Bow shaving a beard. Yeah, like that's, well, that never happens. Never so happens. you know that that went extremely well, mm. um, but again. And then the opportunity started with the uh, with Volkswagen to develop the R32. It took forever to get here, mm. uh, and then when it did, it was uh, an absolute handful mm. for them. And this was for the the GT 
GTP as it was that ProCar yeah, used to yeah, run that's with. Right, yeah. They had all the they had the Nations Cup, they had the Utes, they had the GTP cars. Yeah. It was a bit of a um, travelling circus of of all that stuff. It, and it was. and v, but but VW that, were right in. This was a factory thing. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it was a, a big thing yeah. because uh, obviously they thought saw the value of it because they uh, had two cars and and a team of people to to run them in uh, in that particular category at that time. So obviously Volkswagen thought it was pretty mm. uh, serious stuff. Mm. And it wasn't sort of not a pathway category to V8s, but it was racing. It was, was a driving car. A, driving it was a, a deal. car. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> so that was, any steering wheel, any yeah, track, any yeah, time. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was what sort of was the, yeah. the next thing to, to keep steering. Yeah. And as you said, that people were seeing and knowing and there were some yeah. – Opportunities and offers and things that were sort of bubbling in the background. Oh, it's just, uh, yeah, he obviously never stopped networking. Mm. Uh, Janelle and Steve Duckett did an enormous amount of promotional work, uh, preparation stuff to put into the media, which I'm sure all, all helped. And, um, you know, the whole process, as you know, it's just slow going sometimes mm. and just to get a phone call and then mm. starts again. That's mm. Dribs that's and drabs, it's a feast yeah. or a famine, isn't it, yeah. all that stuff and just takes one phone call to get a deal going and yep. next and thing you know, we're on, we're yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's, um, it, it's 20 years this year that we're talking about this, the right. period that we're talking about, 2003 now. Yeah. So, And obviously we know what, what, what happened at, at Phillip yeah. Island and because it was – were you guys there? No, you weren't you, – you didn't go to those. By that stage, no, we you weren't really going to the races, we were you? We weren't there, but uh, yeah. we were – I was talking to him on the phone uh, prior to the, the race starting and uh, or oh, didn't oh, start the, the practising and all that. Just, no, no worries, Dad. Um, mm, mm. Uh, little did we know. Yeah. One of the things that um, – and – our, our listeners will and totally understand and and know what because that week Paul Stokel was driving as well. Normally it was just Stu racing, yeah. but they'd actually added another car and Paul had been Formula yeah. Holden champ and yeah. you know his resume is as long as this table. But um, so there's actually two cars there that weekend. Yeah. But it was it was on a Saturday, not a Sunday. It wasn't the racing. It was actually just qualifying to try to that's, that's they great. were beat, yeah. trying to beat one another yeah. to, to grab pole. Uh, the worst part about it all it. it uh, had been raining in the, uh, the days before. I'm not sure. I wasn't there, but certainly it was a wet track. Um, not at that exact time, but the out, outfields were wet. Mm. Everything was wet around you, so mm. that was the problem. That, uh, and I was about, I was going to say exactly. I know we have talked about this over the journey in the last twenty years, yeah. but because uh, it's turn what number is it? Honda Corner turn oh. four. Straight ahead, yeah. so, and and it was just at the time when the hands device was starting to get a bit of traction, yeah. and now it's compulsory. You got to have one. It's just yeah, well, in the rules. But at the time, it wasn't. If he'd had one of those, yeah. we might have a very different conversation here. Well, uh, uh, we've had that conversation, and obviously Stu and Steve Duckett and his race engineer had talked about it as well. But unfortunately, they weren't. Compulsory, and uh, I don't think even uh, the V8s had them at that stage. They weren't compulsory. Compulsory, I think, no, I think so. just about that time, um, I think there was a. I'm trying. I'm picturing a pressure because 
I think Revolution Race Gear was pushing them and working with okay. some of the V8 teams because there was, you know, the way they sat on the front of the suits was a bit awkward and people weren't really used to them. They were trying to get it sort of uh, going, but it wasn't the rule like it is now. But uh, it was just starting to sort yeah. of get going at that stage. Uh, so it's a case of yeah. of what, you know, that might have changed. I probably would have yeah. changed things. But one of the things that I wanted to ask you about too, and you didn't know this at the time until sort of afterwards, but... He had a test drive coming up with Ford Performance Racing, which not many people know about that, who were brand new to V8s. They bought Glenn Seaton's yeah. Team Pro Drive. They were running Lounsey and Glenn Seaton, and Stu had a test drive all teed up, but you didn't know about that we, until we, we didn't. We had no idea until uh, after the accident where we were told about it, but in his diary, um, he's just in Stu's fashion, he's got... And his best handwriting uh, in the diary. He's got a test day at um, Ford Performance Racing, uh, and didn't tell anybody about it. It's good at keeping a secret. Uh, but um, Virginia Knott, who was a part of the VGA team, told us that they actually had him all measured up for his race suit and so on. So, yeah, mm. what might have been? Yeah, absolutely. We often think about what might have been mm. and. So one of the things I love and, and love that you guys have um, made the trip to Melbourne to sit down and, and have a chat, it's great to catch up with you. And we get to see you in Newcastle because you, you're Newcastle yeah. people. So now that there's been a race there over time, that's cool. Yeah. Hopefully we've got our fingers crossed that it's yeah. still going to be on a calendar in, in yes. upcoming years. But although what happened in the sport to you with Stu, you've still got – friendships, relationships, you've been here in Melbourne visiting people who yeah. you know through racing, the Davos, there's you would have been very justified to sort of walk away from Australian car racing, but you've got a great group of friends and families and people that you've met along the way that yeah. you know you're uh, still in touch with, you know, it's great. Well, it's it's a wonderful thing. Uh what happened in uh, 2017, when the first event happened at uh, Newcastle, the uh, acknowledgement of Stu and yourself and um, Jamie, Will, uh, Paul and Alex uh, had a plaque made and it now proudly sits on the starting grid of the, the racetrack at Newcastle when it's set up and... Uh, had a particularly special day on that day, which we'll never forget. Mm. Uh, and the the family, um, just a fantastic day, fantastic mm. memory. But as you said, the uh, association with the racing fraternity over the last 20 years has just been fantastic. Mm. People, we're still in contact with most people, not all, but... Um, Wherever you go, uh, there's always um, an invitation to go here, come do that, and that's just wonderful. It's still, you know, if I turned up to a supercar paddock, beyond the Will Davos and the Paul Dumbrells or the Jamie, you know, Jamie's running triple eight for crying out loud now. Yeah. Like he's the most that's winning what? driver ever. He hadn't won cracker 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, that, you know, whether it's Pete Wallace who's still there looking after engines for yeah. people in Super 2 oh. and oh. so many people who still in the sport oh. or still deeply connected to it. It's oh, great. Very lucky. That, uh, we're able to maintain that involvement with mm. people. And, uh, 
just one little quick one before we wrap up. I've heard a little whisper. You might be able to confirm or deny. You might not be able to give me all the info. Is it true that one of Stuart's old Formula Fords is maybe on the way back somewhere, maybe making a comeback? I believe it is, Karen. Okay. Um, I'm doing a bit of sleuthing here just yes, to see. Yeah, well, watch this space. Okay. And I was uh, pleasantly surprised when I got a phone call and uh, I've just purchased Stu's old car. He didn't say which one. Uh, uh, yeah, Steve Duckett rang, and um, who who was long-time family friends of yours, yeah, and, working and, Stu and, with his racing, yeah, raising was, budgets, and running around doing yeah, all sorts of stuff. Oh, uh, he was he was great, and he purchased this uh, in two thousand and twenty-three. Yeah, I haven't seen the car, but uh, seen all the photographs, and it's still intact, and I I believe it's. Uh, Destined for bigger and better things, Darren. No, oh, well, we will watch this yeah. space. We'll keep our listeners and readers updated yeah. with what happens with that. We might have to be looking out some old photos and get yeah. some sticker kits ready up to yeah. uh, to put it back to how it used to look back in the day. But, um, guys, thank you so much for sitting down. It's been great to see you. It's great to talk about this stuff and uh, and go back down memory lane. Really appreciate it. It's good uh, stuff. Thank you. It's thank good you. to keep the memory alive. Again, I have to say an absolute huge thanks to John and Janelle McColl. You heard Janelle a couple of times there in the background of that chat with John, but it was great to see them both. Great to have them here at the V8 Sleuth office and great to catch up with them. Now, there's some really great stories in among there, and I wanted to dig a bit deeper into some of them. And I was able to do that with Stu's great friend, Steve Duckett, who is a longtime McColl family friend who really helped Stu tremendously during his career, particularly during that year in 2002 when he raced as teammates with Will Power, the now uh, Indianapolis 500 winner and IndyCar champ, uh, when they drove in the Formula Holden Championship for the Gold Star for Graham Watson's Road Australia team. And he tells too even more of the story that John alluded to in regards to what's happened to one of Stu's old race cars. Steve Duckett, can you explain to me how you got roped in to the Stuart McColl racing world? How did you know the McColls? Yeah, yeah. Started with a good question. <laughs> Who would know? <laughs> uh, it's it was a it was an interesting start in that I didn't really know them that well, but I was racing go karts at the time for a local uh, team uh, run by Steve King, uh, and they were part of that as well. Now I had a pretty decent uh, go kart engine, but I couldn't drive out of sight in a dark night to save my life if I had to, so I wasn't that good at it. But I had this really good engine. Anyway, Steve King rang me one night and just sort of said, hey, would you consider leasing that engine? Now, I've got a young kid who is pretty switched on and pretty pretty talented. They've just done their engine. Any chance you could, they could borrow yours? And I went, yeah, yeah, not a problem. So I went and met them, and the relationship sort of started from there. This kid was just he was probably around 13 or 14 at the time. It was just, just clearly, visibly a, an extraordinary talent. And I was just happy to be part of the project. And I literally, I remember saying something like to John, hey, mate, just I'm not going to stand in the way of, of this. Just use the engine and hand it back to me when you're finished with it. I, I, I don't need it. I can't use it. I can't tell the difference between the three or four that I own. Uh, but apparently this one's pretty good. And they went on to win quite a lot in karting with that engine. And that's where the relationship started. Yeah. And it went right all the way through. Um, what would you... Describe yourself as mentor, friend, 
sponsor hunter, uh, uh, confidant. It's a bit of all of the above, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, we were involved in all of that during the during the journey. In the end, uh, Stuart was a remarkable talent, uh, but he also needed to challenge himself. So he, I guess where I fitted in ultimately towards the end, because he had moved on with uh, you know other people. He had uh, a girl by the name of Greg Siddle looking after him right at the end. And obviously, I don't even come close to a, a name like that. So uh, I was just really the sounding block. So what he needed around him was somebody who had his best interests at heart. I had no commercial relationship with him at all. Uh, so when he asked me a question and I gave him a, a, a response, he trusted that I was doing it for him. wasn't anything. I, I, there was nothing in it for me, effectively. And I've had a couple of relationships similar with other people since then and, and maybe slightly before then. And that's sort of where I fitted into this whole network of, of motorsport. Uh, it's not something that I do as a day job, but I have had a reasonable amount of success in terms of uh, advising people, and that was the role that I had with Stuart. He trusted what I told him. So if if I said, look, I just don't think you're doing the right thing here, he took that on board, and sometimes he still made the decision to go ahead anyway. But that's <laughs> that's what he need. He just he just needed that sounding block. So that's where I fitted into the to the project that uh, to try and get Stuart to where he was trying to get to. And in the end, we just became, it was just a bond that you, you, you can't describe. I could tell walking into a garage, just looking at him as soon as he got out of the car, whether he had a good session, bad session, whether, you know, things were going well. And I was able to also be that intermediary between him and some of the teams that he drove for. I could go and say, hey, look, I think you need to look at uh, these items because I can tell he's really struggling with them and he doesn't know what to do. Uh, there were a number of incidents along the way where that happened, and uh, yeah, it's just it was just this bond that we just travelled together in the end. We shared hotel rooms, and uh, yeah, just a really serious when we needed to be, and a lot of fun when we uh, when we got the opportunity to do that as well. And that segue is very nicely into a topic <laughs> that we've laughed about for pretty much twenty years, and it's been referred to earlier in this podcast. But tell me about the trip at the last minute to get to Winton when there was no accommodation, um, you ended up at a place that you wouldn't, wouldn't have expected to normally have booked accommodation at for a race event. Correct, and I didn't book it. It was Stu's mum, just to get this on the record. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't book this as accommodation. Uh, yeah, and I don't think anyone would have believed where we were staying if it wasn't for Stu. This was that whole uh, fun element of, of his life. And the things you do when opportunity presents itself. So we did get a phone call. We needed to be at Winton. It was something like the Thursday morning where we got a phone call saying, "Hey, we want you to drive at Bathurst. Can you uh, can you come and spend the weekend with the team?" So it was a bit of panic stations. We had a few think details to sort out. So I rang Stu's mum and said, "Hey Janelle, we need <laughs> we need to find some accommodation in Winton as near as we can." So we went off and started doing the bits that we needed to do. And then I got a phone call back from Janelle saying, I found you some accommodation. I went, great, great, cool. And we went off. No, no, I need to tell you about it. What do you mean you need to tell me about it? I need to tell you about it before you get there and just so you understand if I need to, if I need to book somewhere else. And she said, it's a nudist camp. 
And I went, hmm, okay, you might need to explain that a little bit <laughs> more. <laughs> uh, you know, like Stuart and I have a pretty close relationship, but it's not quite that close. So she said, no, no, it's all right, because what they told me is that for this weekend, because there's no accommodation, that they relax their rules. So we laughed a bit. And I said, yeah, well, that'll be fine. Because I got a bed, yeah, that'll be fine. So we moved on and uh, kept doing what we were doing, and we agreed to stay at a nudist camp together. So that then led into we arrived on the Saturday morning and the team were asking us a few questions and things like that. And then the comment about where he's staying tonight came up. We let them know. And I don't truly think that anyone believes that we were staying in a nudist camp. <laughs> and which uh, team was this, by the way? Uh, this was Larkin Motors, but like Mark Larkin. Right. So we got, okay. a, we got a phone call. Yeah, we got a phone call from, I think it was Adam Perry. Mm-hmm. Who uh, who said, hey, we'd like you to come down for the weekend and spend a bit of time and get to know the team. Uh, all of this was organised through Greg Siddle, uh, who has a remarkable relationship with the Australian motorsport industry. He's a powerhouse that, uh, yeah, it was just such a huge uh, support of Stuart during, the, during this period of his life. So, yeah, so we got to the nudist camp. Uh, yeah, checking in was just bizarre. So we, we drove up this dirt driveway. We, we managed to find our way to it. And to this day, I've never found it again. I don't know where it is. I couldn't – I've tried to find it. It's one of those <laughs> uh, weird places. It's way out – it's somewhere between Benalla and Wangaratta, uh, out in the stick somewhere. I tried to find it because it's, it's such a, it was such a funny story at the time. But I've never found the place that, again. I couldn't, I couldn't drive there. But we got there, we drove up this little dirt driveway and there was a reception-looking building or whatever, and I think it had the word reception on it that gave it away that uh, there was a, that's where we needed to check in. So it's quite late at night by that stage. <laughs> and we walked to the thing, there's doors locked, and but there's a CB radio off to the right-hand side of the, the door and I picked it up and just says, hello, so, nothing, hello. Some crackling into life of the CB radio and somebody game on the other end. Hello? Oh, yeah, it's Stuart and Steve. We're here to check in. Uh, we've got a room booked tonight. Oh, I'll be straight down. So then the bizarre uh, element happened. There's a really long hallway down the uh, down the, the, the building that we were looking at. It was well lit with fluorescent lights and things like that. And then the door opened up and then you've got this nude guy walking towards you. <laughs> and we're both looking at each other, just like laughing and just going, how, how did we end up here? Like, <laughs> this better be worth it. You know, like <laughs> opportunity knocks uh, along with other things that were knocking. So we, we went, went through the check-in process and uh, it was a good draft. The first thing he asked us is on the side of the wall, there's a series of rules around the, the, uh, the, the, the what was acceptable within the nudist colony, and this wasn't a clothing optional resort; it was a full nudist colony. So the requirement was you needed to be nude. And he's looked at, and we were told with Janelle that uh, no, 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 they relax those rules this weekend. All, all good. So he's pointing to the rules. He said, "You fellas, okay with that?" We're looking at each other, just going, "Not really." And he started to laugh and said, "No, no, no, it's all right. You don't need to this weekend. We'll uh, relax." So he gave us the keys for the room. We go, go back into the room and uh, we laid out. <laughs> he laid out on his bed on, on, on mine. And there's this big sign on the wall, and it had a, a retelling of the rules uh, that was that was there with reception. He just looked at me and said, "We are still stealing that sign." <laughs> hopefully enough times gone. Hopefully enough times gone by that. That we won't get in trouble for that, and I'm not even sure the place exists anymore. I've, like I said, I've tried to find it uh, a couple of times since, just for uh, old time's sake. 
But yeah, so we stole the sign. Uh, that sign hung up in Volkswagen Racing for a number of years after that. But uh, every time I'd go there, I'd see it on the wall and we would laugh at it. And uh, yeah, just one of those bizarre sequence of events. Oh, and when we took that sign back to the track the next morning, even though I don't think anyone sort of believed it and sort of if anyone was going to do it, it would have been him. Uh, by then we'd become sort of, sort of pit lane legends of uh, staying at a nudist resort just so that he could try and get a drive in the Bathurst 1000 race <laughs> a bit later in the year. So it's just one of those bizarre sequence of events. And we have uh, Janelle to thank. Janelle can always pull accommodation out of somewhere, <laughs> which I knew at the time when I gave her a call. I said, hey, Janelle. Uh, we need this accommodation. Uh, she's yeah, 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 set her on the set her on the hunt. She was just really extraordinary, being able to pull something out of a hat when we needed it, and that was one of her better efforts. <laughs> <laughs> well, race drivers will do anything. They to will do get anything, an although we don't. To just to get it on well, the record, we keep the kid well, on. Keep the kid on. No, actually, on a, on a technicality, one of us may have. You know, walk back from the car to the thing with their pants down, and that wasn't me. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, when I when I heard him, like it was quite dark or whatever, and I go, "What did you just do?" He said, "Well, we're in a nudist camp. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> went in Rome. I just go, oh, you, you idiot." <laughs> so yeah, it was oh, it was almost one of those you had to be there moments or whatever. And it, I'm just so blessed to have been part of his life and and seen those things because they were the things that made. It's such a special project to be involved with. He was insanely serious. He's insanely talented, but insanely humorous and, and just a, a laugh a minute to be around. And, and when you had those three elements together, it was something truly special was happening during that period with a, quite a large number of the that era. Mm. So, and yeah. the great part is too, Steve, that the that specialness does continue on and, I referred to it in the chat with John. We didn't quite fully reveal and unveil all the details, but you might be able to add some more here about the fact that one of Stuart's old Formula Fords, the, the RF98 Van Diemen, he drove it for Sonic in uh, 2000. It was the car that Alex Davison had driven. Will had raced it as well. I think at Bathurst in the non-championship um, event up there as well. Uh, you've got that car. You've, you've managed to find this car. This is a bit of Formula Ford sleuthing you've been up to. <laughs> yeah, I decided to steal your job. So, <laughs> so I thought, no, V8 sleuth, Formula Ford sleuth. Uh, I'm probably not quite as good at it as you, but, uh, yeah, so I did, we did manage to find that car. Now, after the incident at Phillip Island in 2003, uh, I, did, I did sort of try and keep track of this car because I did – uh, it's, it's 20 years ago now, so I probably wasn't uh, financially in a position to do it. But I always thought in the back of my mind, I want to buy that car back one day. Uh, I think it, it's it's something that means a lot to a lot of people. So I, I do want to get it. And the original purchaser of it was a guy by the name of Tim Berryman. And I went up to Tim 20 years ago and sort of said, hey, please come and try and keep me in the loop of when you uh, move this car on. And so he did. But then I lost track of it after that. And it, it just disappeared into the wilderness, as a lot of race cars do. They end up in garages, stripped apart. And during COVID, of all things, when we weren't allowed to be near people, I was standing next to Michael Ritter in Park for May at Wakefield Park. And we were just chatting casually. And I'm looking down the list of the row of cars that were lined up in, in Park for May. And I'm just looking and going, that car looks familiar. And I just pointed to Michael and said, 
that's the 98. And he, he's looking and he's going, he might be right. So I wasn't technically allowed to go and speak to people, but uh, but I did. I went <laughs> and spoke to the owner and I says, hey, mate, any, any chance this is Alex Davison's uh, 98? And, and it used to be run with Sonic. And he went, yeah, yeah, this is it. And he showed me the logbook and all that. And I literally just said, to him, mate, you are the second last owner of this car. I, uh, when you want to move this car on, like race it for as long as you want. When you want to move this car on, I'm the next owner of it and I'll probably be the last owner of it. And that's what happened. He Earlier this year, he rang me up. He raced it last season. Uh, he raced it for two seasons. When I hadn't heard from him in November last year, I thought, oh, he might be going around again. But then in about February, he just sent me a text message saying, hey, well, we're going to go speedway racing. Could uh, any chance you still want this car? And I went, I'll be up to pick it up as soon as I could. It's not the best way to negotiate the best price for a car. <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, there are some things that are just far more valuable than money. And that is, yeah, this car means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, I didn't say anything to anyone other than Josh at the time. But the day I was sitting up there uh, where, he, where he lived to pick it up, uh, as a, when I know, once I knew all the paperwork had gone through and I was getting a truck to, uh, to arrive to, to, to pick it up, I walked up to a bar and I was just waiting for a couple of hours. I had a couple of hours to kill. And I rang John and Janelle and said, hey, mate, I just want to let you know that I've just bought Stu's Formula Ford back. And, yeah, quite a lot of silence, uh, silence on the other end of the phone. And then it was like, wow, you know, like, and, and I guess – the car is such an emotional thing for for us as a as a network of friends around you, and I wanted it back in the in the family. The intent of it, <laughs> I don't really truly know, but we will put it back into the we will restore it back to the Kmart Racing uh, livery and um, and it will be operational. I did bump into Richard Davison down at Sandown earlier in the year. Uh, it would be somewhat of an honour if Richard at least had one, at least one race in it. Then he, I know, then that means that all three Davidsons have run in all three cars that mean a lot to them. So I, I think, in a strange way, he was a little disappointed that he didn't uh, get his hands on it. But at the end of the day, it's as much theirs as it is mine or ours. I, I call it. It's our car now. One of his best schoolmates, uh, Heath Punk. Uh, I want to send him somewhere and uh, and get him to have a few laps in it, just for you know he Heath Heath would come along to quite a lot of races, and it means a lot to him. Uh, he's a, he's pretty keen because he's already rung me. Do I need to get an MA license? How do I go about? Thing like <laughs> I think we'll take him down to Pheasants Wood or somewhere like that, and just get him to do. We'll get him a track there license. But yeah, it, it, we, we'll do a few things with it, just to uh, uh, just for people that it meant a lot to. And ultimately, I think I'd like to, you know, try and find a home for it either in the museum at Bathurst or the museum at Phillip Island or something like that. That might be a little way off, but it'll be good to to, to put it on display somewhere because it is a it is a car that means a lot to both the Davidsons and the McColl family. So I think it has some historical value, and yeah, it was it was such a huge pleasure to find to, to bump into it. It was bump into it in Park for May in 2020, and. Yeah, there was no question of uh, I was always going to buy that car back as soon as I saw it. Well, Bild, uh, I love a bit of sleuthing, and this is one of the best sleuthing stories that I've heard uh, for quite some time. So we look forward to seeing the, the RF98 in those Kmart racing colours from 2000 at some point, uh, somewhere down the track. 
Is there anything else from Stewie's racing career, car-wise, out there that we could be keeping an eye out for that we should be trying to find? Absolutely. The, the, it, it's a bit funny because the RF98 was a hugely important car to the McCall family uh, and the Sonic family and the Davidsons and everything like that. But the car that I spent the most no- amount of time in with, like, just the two of us travelled you know, around the country going together was the uh, 95D Reynard that he raced in Formula Holden for Graham Watson. That car also has a huge... Uh, significance in in the life of Stu and certainly for me it's the one that I remember most of all it was the one where I think Stu just grew new legs in that car you know he was quite talented in Formula Ford uh, won quite a large number of races I think he won the most number of races during that era he didn't win a championship but he certainly won quite a lot of races the 95D Reynard uh, he just grew a new set of legs. It was it was almost like he – that was where the, his true talent, I think, shone. Uh, and, to, like, a bit of a story in the in the background, you know, like, unfortunately, Graham's passed away as well since uh, this, but uh, he was a guy that I thanked quite a lot because the commercial deal, and as we all know, there's commercial uh, realities of motorsport, the commercial deal that Graham put together was exceptional. He He funded – quite a lot of uh, Stuart to be in that car. So probably can't say the numbers, but, yes, Graham was just such a huge supporter. And it, it meant a lot to me that other people cared enough about the talent that they were watching to, to put their own money into it as well. So that car, I believe, went to the States. I, went, I believe it went to the U.S., we did lose track of it. I, it was originally owned by, I think, a guy by the name of John Henman, who uh, Graham didn't own the car. He just run it on behalf of this other guy. And that was the year that we were also teammates to Will Power. And, you know, as we know, Will Power has gone on to pretty incredible things. And uh, it's, it's yeah, just a really pleasing thing to see these guys. That that era, as you know, Aaron, was just something truly special. There was the, the list of who's who in motorsport almost around the world uh, came from that era. And there's probably another group coming through right now that's that's – it does feel like there's a bit of special stuff happening right now as well with uh, Will Brown and the Kosteckis and Hazelwood and a few of the other guys uh, that you're seeing step up now. But, yeah, that era that, that you will remember quite well because <laughs> uh, you were a young fellow then. <laughs> Once upon a time. Once upon yeah, a time, I remember. Yeah. We won't talk about the trying to teach you to water ski. Oh, that was, <laughs> that was the biggest disaster for any of our listeners. Whoever think uh, going water skiing is easy, I can confirm it's not because seriously, one day, this is a few years after Stuart passed, was it Lake Macquarie? It was, correct. Lake Macquarie with yourself, uh, Janelle, Janelle Stu's mum, who's a superstar on water yep. skiing. She made it look so easy. I tried, failed 48 times and ended up on the rubber dinghy on the back just getting towed around for fun. <laughs> Seriously, it was the <laughs> I was so bad. So bad. So, good. We will mention the water skiing then. I wasn't going to, but yeah, we've, we've, dealt, we've same... dealt with it now. We can move on. Now look, that car, that ninety five D, yeah, yeah, the ninety five D is something that I would like to at least know where it is, uh, with the view to, to maybe getting it back into the country. I remember, I, I've heard that Tim Lay's got his back. Uh, he managed to source his out of the states. 
So I might have a quick chat to Tim and a few other people to see how they went about that and just to see, see whether we can start to find out at least we know where the car is. But that was certainly a car that was very special in Stu's. He absolutely loved driving it. He never once got out of that car without a huge smile on his face, even if it had been a bad race. And uh, people used to comment to me all the time, you know, like, how can he be so happy when he's just at a bad race or whatever? I mean, he just loves it. He just, he just, this is, this is his life. He, he just loves doing what this, this sport. And, uh, you know, you can't always have a great day. He did win quite a lot of races in that car, but yeah, a couple of bad ones as well. But yeah, never did he not have a smile on his face when he was in that car. And that was the year. So that, that was the year that we ended up at the nudist camp. We ended up sharing a honeymoon suite in Albury. Hang uh, on. Was probably what? another. We didn't, we didn't hear about the honeymoon suite. Was this <laughs> is this another Janelle uh, accommodation booking? No, nah, this was me. Uh, this oh, was no. this was me accidentally. Uh, we'd left. Uh, uh, he was doing a Volkswagen opening at Parramatta, so I picked him up in Parramatta, and we were once again heading to Winton, but f- I think for the Formula Holden uh, round that year. He uh, and we did, didn't know how far we'd get, so whatever we were going to try and get as far as we could. It was late Thursday night; had to be there for Friday morning. Uh, I rang the head, like we got in the car, we, we left the service station at Kasula, started heading south, <laughs> got, got on the call, we were a bit tired, so I rang ahead and said, hey, I need a, I need a room for two. The lovely girl on the phone said, yep, that's, uh, that's not a problem. We hung up and we are driving for about another five minutes and whatever, and I, I said to Stu, I said, did I mention that we needed two beds? And he's looked at me and gone, No. Hmm. Okay, so we rang it back. <laughs> so, so uh, I said, "Oh, look, we just rang a little while ago and booked a room, or whatever." And I said it was for two, but I actually forgot a key detail. It's two males. We probably need a room with two beds in it. So, oh, we don't have a room with two beds in it. Uh, oh, I don't know what to do. And she's looking through the list of things. Oh, no, no, we do. We've got the room of the honeymoon suite. At about that point, you can imagine Stu because he was a practical joker and thing like that. that just started a whole heap of humor and conversation or whatever you know marriages don't last very long in albury you know they're already sleeping in separate beds how, how can this be or whatever so so, so we said oh, by that stage we were just that tired and we just we, we were gonna have to push on and we didn't want to do it again yeah we'll take the honeymoon suite so i couldn't even tell you which motel this was in but it's down near the river somewhere and we we got into the room and what she didn't tell us is that it has two of everything it had two showers, it had two basins, it had two toilets, it had two beds, it had two everything. And I don't think we got much sleep that night because we were just so busy laughing at, like, just this bizarre hotel room that we were staying in. Just uh, we got up pretty tired the next morning and uh, drove on to, to Winton and he, he did the two practice sessions for Formula Holden that weekend. And, uh, yeah, it was just a bizarre. We already had accommodation in Wangaratta that Graham had organised for the Friday and Saturday night, but we didn't have anywhere to stay on the Thursday night on the way down because we weren't quite sure how far we'd get because he had this commitment with Volkswagen Racing who he was, had a relationship with at the time to do this dealership opening in Parramatta. So, <laughs> so it was balanced. North. So, yeah, so I forgot about that one until you just uh, asked, is there anything well, else? Well, it's just such a bizarre me. time. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It, it's great. And there's some of the stories that our, I know our listeners love to hear about uh, motorsport and the – the trials and tribulations of it because quite often it gets all about the, the on-track stuff and the cars and the commercial stuff, but those stories are behind the scenes are, are really great. And there's another element too I wanted to quickly cover off with you before we finish up. Um, 
is that obviously it's 20 years this year, as we've, we've, we've mentioned, that's why we're doing it. But also um, his legacy is strong because not only are we still talking about him, uh, stuff about like his old cars, but there's some awards that you and I talked about recently before this recording. But just give us an idea for some of our listeners that his name lives on with some really special awards in New South Wales that connect to the categories that he came from, which is a really great sign that I, mean, I think sometimes in the past where people are, are, you know, lose their life in accidents in motorsport and, and the goodwill around it in the aftermath is fantastic where there's maybe an award named after someone or, a, or you know, something done in their name. And then maybe over time it fades away because the connection disappears with the people who are involved in the sport or those categories and the person whose name on it, who no one really then down the track knows who it was or has the, the immediate connection. But that's not the case here at all, is it? True, and uh, and I how this the, so there's two categories that still award uh, the Stuart McCall Award uh, in New South Wales. One's the, the New South Wales Formula Ford Association and the New South Wales Formula V Association. So the Formula V Award uh, it was started by well by quite a large number of people, but uh, uh, her name's now Tony McKendry, but uh, she was Tony Smith at the time. Uh, she's gone on to marry Mark McKendry, who's a, a, just a lovely, just a lovely family. They they went through the process of setting up the Stuart McCall Award, and yes, it was awarded last year to. Sorry, so there's a reigning uh, award winner. I, it came about because I got involved accidentally through back into Formula V after so many years. So I've been helping a, a family out that live locally to where I uh, to where I live. And we went. I went to the presentation, and I sort of walked over, and I'm going, I recognise that award. Some, you know, you know that. And in the early days, John and Janelle always went to to present it, and I think, you know, like in time, the emotion of that is has been quite tough for them. So they just used to award it to. I think, and I spoke to the people who were doing the presentation, and I explained the story. I said, hey, it would mean a lot to me if I could present this to to whoever's going to win it this year. And since then, uh, I've got to award it pretty much every year uh, since then because I'm still around in the Formula V uh, scene in New South Wales. The Formula Ford Association, I've actually helped a number of uh, ex-winners of the uh, Stuart McCall Award. Uh, one, The initial winner of the Stuart McCall Award was a guy by the name of Dane Rudolph who went and spent quite a lot of time in the U.S. trying to do the NASCAR thing before Marcus Ambrose even tried. So, so he uh, he was the first award winner. And, and I don't even know how I got in, uh, like how they got in touch with me, but they were just ringing around trying to find some help on, on some advice on motorsport or whatever. And I wasn't overly interested in moving forward. And, and in some ways, Dane was the one who kept me involved in the sport because in amongst all of the, the the emotion of the end of 2003, and you're never really sure whether you're, you're still in love with the sport. He, his dad rang me up or whatever, and he's rattling through the resume as, as a lot of drivers do or whatever. Oh, and he's the reigning Stuart McCall Award winner. Hmm. At about that point, uh, you've got my attention now. So, yeah. so those two awards are still awarded 20 years after the after you know, Stu's unfortunate incident at Phillip Island. I cannot thank the community enough. People like yourself, I know you did a lot of work with the, the tribute that was given to Stuart at the Newcastle circuit. 
which is just amazing. Uh, and, the, and the community that, that came together, it, it just shows just what a unique talent he was, just how, how much impact he had on all of our lives. You couldn't not meet him and not fall in love with him. It's just he it was just that rare person that even if you were a competitor to him, somehow you were still his mate. You know, like uh, I know over many years, uh, Christian Murchison and Stu were fierce enemies on the track. Yet what a lot of people don't remember is they actually shared a house together. Mm-hmm. And and Murchow is still to this day one of the you know dearest friends. It, it, they just even fierce enemies on track were not enemies really. It was just you, you're trying to do a job, you're trying to do the best you can. But at the end of the day, when when the check and flag had fallen and everyone was in park for May, you know there were just lots of laughs and uh, there was no like ongoing dispute or whatever. You just couldn't you just couldn't do it with him. He he just had this unique ability to be everyone's friend, uh, be the village idiot, yet be incre- incredibly talented at what what he was. And Steve, that is the reason I think that the awards to this day are still ongoing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Steve, thanks for the chat. It's been great to catch up with you. But one thing that really springs to mind here is one role you'll never get with our business is handling our accommodation. Yes, <laughs> true. Uh, no, but Janelle can. I only booked the honeymoon suite. She booked the nudist camp. <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak uh, today. It's, it's an emotional period. Uh, yeah, it's impossible to, to think that it's 20 years. Uh, I justify it to myself. I just keep telling myself that, that you know, he's on, he's on holiday somewhere. Um, <laughs> And I just remember the good times. I, I certainly try not to dwell on the the, the, the events of August 2003. Yeah, but the rest of it was just a laugh a minute, and that's what keeps us going. And, you know, he lived more in 23 years than I'll live if I live to be 123. And, uh, yeah, thanks, Aaron, for the opportunity. A big thank you again to Steve Duckett for taking the time to share some of his memories, and I really can't wait to see that 98 Van Diemen back on the track sometime soon in those Kmart colours. And again, a huge thank you as well to John and Janelle McColl for taking the time to sit down and share some memories of their amazing son, Stu. If you're new, Stu, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and have brought back some really great memories. If you didn't know him, I hope you took away something to see what his contribution to the sport was, albeit in a very short space of time. It's been great to sit down and go through this episode. It's been one that I've been looking forward to doing all year and really had on the calendar. So I hope that you take away something from it because I know I have. I really appreciate everyone tuning in and having a listen. I'll chat with you again next week on the VH Loop podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. The Shannon Speed Series is back for 2024 and next stop is Simmons Plains for AWC Race Tasmania on March 15 to 17. Peugeot points leader Ben Bargwana leads the way into round two of the super cheap auto TCR Australia series. And there's plenty of V8s to see in here too. Mighty Moth, Spicy Gricey, and the Trico Trans Am series are in action, as well as the ground-shaking Precision National Sports Sedan series. 
It's just $55 for a three-day pass. Book now via motorsporttickets.com.au.